um, because he felt at, at that time that he had paid more than his fair share of taxes. I believe he said it over $50 million in his, in his um, adult lifetime, obviously when he created the antivirus and um, up until he was deported back from Guatemala to America. So in between that time, he had paid taxes and he felt that he had paid his fair share. And this, you know, taxes being, um, taxation being theft was the hill that he wanted to die on, if you will. You know, he he really felt passionate about that, that they were illegal. Obviously, they are cons um, um, unconstitutional taxes, income taxes. And just trying to, I, I don't know if it, maybe his philosophy, but he just wanted to wake people up. He just wanted to wake people up from their slumber of this is how life is because it's always been this way. This is how it has to always be, you know, because I was raised to believe this or because I was taught to believe this or do this. This is what I have to do. You know, I can't step outside of, of, of the box of normality, whatever that is for each individual. And he wanted to very much break that, you know, um, that illusion. Or, or whatever, you know, he just wanted to shock people out of their slumber, you know, and, and wake up to the reality of the world around us and, and try to help get people present in the now, you know, we're so focused on either the regrets of our past or what what we want our future to be that we're, we're missing what's happening now. This week on Monero Talk is sponsored by Monero.com Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero safely on iOS and Android too. Monero.com wallet is open source and you always control your own keys. And by IVPN. Resist online surveillance with IVPN, a privacy-focused audited and transparent VPN provider that accepts Monero directly. And by Stealth EX, an instant exchange where privacy is the top concern. Go to StealthEX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making Stealth EX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or Cake Wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Janice McAfee, wife of late John McAfee, who continues to share the message of individual liberty, speaking out against corruption, and changing the narrative around privacy coins by helping victims of abuse. The two discuss what Janice has been up to since John passed away, how Monero can give a glimpse hope for people in abusive circumstances, spreading crypto, creating parallel economies, the impact of John's philosophy, amazing stories from exile, living off the grid, the suspicions, circumstances of John's death, and much more. Monero Talk starts now. All right. Janice, thanks for coming on. Welcome to Monero Talk. Thank you for having me, Douglas. Or is it Doug? Uh, either one. Either one. Okay. You know, whatever, whatever you think I deserve. Am I Doug, Douglas? It, it depends. Uh, you look like a Douglas, but maybe when you're drinking, having fun, you're a Doug. I don't know. <laughs> Dougie Fresh. I can Dougie Fresh a lot. 
<laughs> when I'm acting like uh, McAfee, when I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do my best okay. to live life to the floor. I greatly appreciate you coming on. I know you've you've kind of been doing the rounds and you know getting yourself out there and telling the story. Uh, mostly, I think, because you, you wanted to get some some help and some support with uh, getting John's body finally released. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I I haven't been following it all that closely. So I'm glad I'm doing the show because I know there's probably a lot of other people who don't really know the story. I know you've been talking about it a lot, and I recommend people go elsewhere to to watch like the really good detailed breakdown on that because I don't want to spend the whole time talking about. It. I'd rather talk about right. you know you know what you're what you're looking to do now. Um, but if you can, get just kind of give a recap of you know where things are at. So so we all. Um, okay, so since since John passed, they um, there was an investigation opened up into his passing, and um, the prison opened up the investigation. So they were keeping his remains because of that. And when they tried to close the investigation, I asked them for his autopsy report, and they said that I didn't need it. So I went ahead and asked my attorney to file a um, an appeal to another court so that I could have the autopsy report released because there was some troubling things that I noticed in the police report um, that made me feel like I needed to see, you know, the, what the actual cause of death was and how um, just, I just wanted to have that information. And so because this, um, they haven't yet decided on whether or not they want to release the autopsy report, they're still holding his remains. So his remains are still being held in um, Barcelona in their morgue and the the decision was supposed to come down last month um, because that was their deadline and they still have yet to um, respond or give give a response for the appeal so so that's where it is now and i just started doing well not just started but i've been kind of talking about this all along but um you know trying to grieve and trying to deal with the different um situations that's been happening here since John died you know I've not been exactly safe here and just trying to deal with that um I wasn't really like in a good headspace to kind of deal with speaking to people publicly and so now I'm um, I guess a little more able to handle this so now I'm trying to really get the word out and 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 obviously trying to figure out a way to just move forward and figure out how to be just Janice McAfee, you know, without John. So I'm sure I, I could only imagine uh, it, it must be, you know, uh, and also cause it's so, it's so public, right? This isn't a, a typical scenario where you're just grieving. I mean, he was, he was a public figure. Wow. Yeah. Worldwide famous. So many people were, were watching, were watching him and following him. So I can only imagine the, you know, the, just the pressure you feel of having to, having to deal with this situation, but I commend the way you've been dealing with it. So, you know, I, I did my research today, I've been watching your videos and stuff. Uh, I'm sure he would, he would be, or he is smiling down. Uh, I'm sure he's very proud, uh, of what you're doing. Um, what what would you say? You know, obviously you're on the mission to to do the right thing, as you know, uh, the 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 wife of John, and you know, get his get his remains and, and take care of that. But what would you say is kind of your your other mission right now in life? Uh, what what is 
what is that? I'm seeing a drive. How would you define it? What is this mission that, that you're on right now? Um, just, just trying to, like I said, just trying to figure out life without John and trying to find my, my way, you know, my space, want my, my lane, if you will, you know, what, what works for me. And, and obviously being with John, and being able to be present with him when he was doing interviews and going and doing talks. And he was always so passionate about individual freedom and financial freedom and um, exposing corruption or, or at least just waking people up to the, the massive amount of corruption that is the world governments. You know, it's not just an American problem. It's a problem that that is um throughout every government you know if you give people power they will abuse it this is just the nature of power you know um it corrupts people especially if they're already um have a tendency to lean towards corruption before they had the power so um and it's something you know his message always resonated with me and it's something that i felt uh passionate about as well although my passion is more um you know, this it's similar to his, but it's also I have my own because of my background. I'm I'm very um I want to help women that are in abusive relationships and abusive situations and not just women, but men as well, children. You know, I want to, to be more more vocal about that, about my story because I think it could help people and and I would love to be able to help in you know, just whatever way I can with people in those situations. And to tie this into crypto, the reason why I'm passionate about crypto is because if I had a means or if I had the knowledge of crypto at the time, although I don't think it was really popular or that big at the time, um, you know, when I was, um, when I met John, I was, I was being pimped out by a very abusive man. And so I was a working girl when I met John and if I had crypto or if, if crypto was more readily available at that time, then I would have had the means to get away from him. You know, I would have been able to have money to save and, and, and just, you know, put that separation that's needed, you know, when you're in a dangerous situation. And I think um, if, if this is more readily understood to people in these sort of situations, then they, they can see um, a glimpse of hope of how they can get away from, you know, because not everybody wants to go to the cops and have them bust in on the door. And, you know, sometimes we just want to quietly just get away and, and just not see the person anymore. And a lot of times that's that's enough to get separation. And, and obviously, you know, sometimes the police may need to get involved. But if women, men, children, whomever, if they if they have the means to provide for themselves, you know, um, then I think a lot of the abuse that we see in the world today can, you know, it wouldn't completely stamp it out, but it definitely would, would, would help if people had a financial, a way to financially provide for themselves. Is that one of the things you're trying to do is kind of clarify or change the narrative around privacy coins? Because I mean, off the, just the way you spoke about it was, was fantastic, right? You're highlighting, you know, one of the positive liberating features. Uh, often, unfortunately, people, you know, not nobody in this community, but outsiders would point to, you know, the negative implications of, of, of privacy coin right. and digital cash, how you could do all these nefarious things. Um, yeah. Is it so are, you know, people. I'm ahead. sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. OK, I was just going to say, you know, people, you can do all of these sort of nefarious things with fiat, you know, um, 
So, so what's the difference? You know, we're not banning fiat, you know, and I, I guess maybe you can say, I would like to change the narrative on privacy coins, or maybe, maybe honestly just introduce it to people in these communities where, where they need a safe way to save money. You know, um, it's so, it's so important. You know, I like hiding money. If I tried to hide money from my pimp and he found it, I would get beaten, you know, and, and, and so that was already happening and it, it was just a massive risk to me, you know, and like I said, had I been able to had the funds to get away from them, I would have been able to do it, you know, but I wouldn't have never met John also. So, you know, I'm not saying that I regret, you know, the choices. Well, I do kind of wish I chose differently for my life, but it led me to meeting John and, and I wouldn't change that, you know, um, I'm happy that I, I got to have him in my life and I got to be a part of his life. And I just want to try to continue to share his message with people because at the end of the day, whether people want to call him crazy or paranoid or any of that, he was brilliant. And he had a, a real love for people and he wanted to see them live their best lives. And he wanted to, um, he wanted people to be free financially and, and in every way free, but especially financially. And that's why he was very outspoken about crypto. Cryptocurrency, the blockchain and cryptocurrency together, because uh, as we are moving on, the blockchain uh, is used for things other than cryptocurrency, which are connected to cryptocurrency. Okay, if that makes any sense. Um, the value is, is that we get to create or use what someone else has created, um, a currency that is controlled by no one, that um, um, is ours. I mean, cryptocurrency and the blockchain, it's the first technology that uh, has arisen in the past 100 years that did not come from the bowels of a secret government program or a major corporation came from the people, ordinary people, really. Um, well, maybe not all ordinary, but normal people. Uh, a bunch of geeky developers, all right? Eggheads, some of them. Uh, built something, made it open source, and from that small beginning, we have built through progressively more complex and powerful blockchains, um, something that people without government have never built before. You realize this is not a government program, people. This is a people program. Um, and no one is getting on board in the proper fucking way. I mean, I just described how it can free us, and everybody's jumping on board but not to free themselves uh, to make a quick buck. Jump into the exchanges. What's going to go up? What's going to go down? And I'll tell you now that financial freedom is not possible. A lot of money, that's possible. Uh, freedom from uh, having to worry about eating, at least for today, because I promise you, no matter how much you have, it can't be wiped out overnight by the vagaries of reality. So, no, that doesn't make you free. What makes you free is having control over your life without massive surveillance, Massive um, influence from the outside. Massive cage that you have to live inside in order 
to make peace with that system. Yeah, I think I saw in one of your interviews, somebody asked you, was it, was it love at first sight? And you're like, oh, hell no. No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it? What were the turning? But when did you like first realize this guy is, uh, you know, he's, he's not the normal, he's not the normal man. Well, how long did it uh, take you impressed? Okay. I was impressed immediately. I was impressed immediately. And, and I really, really liked him. You know, I never liked a guy. You know, it was always, there was always some sexual thing happening, but I just liked him, you know, without the sex, none of that. I just liked his personality, his swag, and he was just very real, very genuine. And when did the love happen? I don't know. It probably happened uh, gradually throughout the years and until, uh, you know, it came to the point where I actually noticed it. You know, I'd never been in love before, you know, I'd had, um, previous relationships, but I don't like to call them relationships. I like to call them situationships. So I never had a non-toxic relationship before. And that's what I was able to have with him. Well, that's what it grew into. Obviously there were issues initially, but um, that's what it grew into. And it was, it was beautiful. So yeah, I did. I can say I was in love with him. Um, It's beautiful. That did happen. That did happen eventually. (laughs) Yeah, so what would you say, like, what, what did you guys bond over? I mean, what was the, uh, what was the real connection there? I know it's just hard to define, but there's yeah, like, is- like sticks out as like, you know, um, huh. wow. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess maybe just, um, I, I understood his need for security. Right. And I was very situationally aware and he would always talk about that and I think maybe that's what helped us to bond because the things um the way that he had to go about protecting himself he didn't have to explain it to me you know it was something that I had learned because of my previous experience of being a working girl um just how to be watchful of people always on on guard but not in a paranoid way but just being cautious you know about your surroundings Mm -hmm. about who's around you um and so, like I said, he didn't have to teach me those things. We were able to kind of gel and mesh you know, mm. very well in that. And then outside of that, I would just say our our unwillingness to bend the knee. <laughs> we, uh, just I refuse to bend the knee to to people or or you're just both systems that are yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, and I think I think I, that was able to develop more because I was with him, you know, because he was such a badass. So it was easy to to be badass with him, you know. But now it's going to be the real test of of my badassery. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a good job. Dude, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. So that 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 makes a ton of sense the way you describe it. So yeah, you were able to instantly understand why this guy was so uh, you know obsessed about you know, privacy and being tracked and being like, you, you understood the security from, yeah. as you were going through it your, yourself. Uh, that, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, so what do you, what do you think we can do uh, as, as a community to, to grow, you know, crypto, to grow privacy coins, Monero in particular, are you, are you uh, into Monero more than others or what's like, what is your, your take on, crypto um, on privacy coins? I, I am into Monero more more so than others, just because John was. I, I will admit, I heavily relied on John's um, expertise when it comes to crypto. And so obviously Monero. 
Um, I'm also obviously biased towards Ghost, Ghost by McAfee. You know, that was his coin he was working on. And it, it was um, created to be wrapped in Monero protocol. So that's um, what he was looking to do with the, with the Ghost. I'm not sure, you know, what's happening with that project now um, since John has passed. But, but obviously, I hope good things are, are in store for them. Um, but what can we do as a community? I think there needs to be more unity in the community. I think there needs to be less um, tribalism as as it relates to various uh, tokens, various coins. You know, I don't think I think everyone is in such a rush to to make money. You know, everything must be profitable. And obviously, this is what you know. We have to live and eat, and you know, take care of our families. So. We, we want to make profits, of course, but that shouldn't be that shouldn't be what drives us. You know, we should be wanting to build sustainable um, projects that answer a need, you know, answers a need that the public has, you know, like medical or dental or whatever it is, you know, for, for roads. If you have like a road coin, I think my friend Rob Logia brought that up. You know, you have a road coin where you, you know, you want to travel and instead of, you know, um, you just, I guess, as you're traveling, you just, you know, charge, pay your little road coin and you can travel on this road, you know, and we talk about taxes. That's a way to to implement a way where we can still continue to take care of, of our infrastructure, you know, without overly taxing people, you know, and yeah. John spoke a lot about those sort of um, ways. I'm sorry, I'm getting off into some. No, no, no. no. But, <laughs> yeah. um, talking about yeah, taxes, but. Not, no. Because I was just, I was, I listened back to my interview with him. It was almost three years ago to the day because I interviewed him. I remember because it was the day after Thanksgiving. So I was at my okay. parents' house for Thanksgiving weekend. So I was literally in my parents' basement. It was like that meme where, like, you're, so I was a podcaster in my parents' basement. It was really, really bad quality. But I got to interview John and it was like surreal. It was surreal. I remember coming upstairs to my family and they're like, so who'd you talk to today? I was like, John McAfee. They're like, what? It was amazing. It was, it was a surreal moment for me, but I, I listened back to the interview. And it was, uh, I mean, I was pretty cringe, but the, the content was amazing. Um, he, he really, I asked, was asking about crypto. And so what he really saw, you know, f from that interview, what he was saying was uh, as the, you know, the, the, the value proposition was the transact, what he sees is the transactional nature of it, the utility and the yeah. ability to be able to transact peer to peer. Cause I was pushing him on, I was listening back. I was pushing him on the digital gold thing. What do you believe? He, th he thinks that's kind of like hogwash and silly, um, yeah. you know, digital gold thing, but what, what, gives it real utility is that it can be used for sending transactions and, you know, particularly privately, you know, it can't be stopped. Nobody could stop you without, without government intervention. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the things we talk about as maybe focusing on, right. Just like uh, building this parallel economy together uh, and think of it in those, those terms, whatever, whatever tools we may be using, uh, you know, Monero, I would say, I, ideally, that's what most would opt, would opt into, but like kind of focusing on building out the economy where people actually are using this stuff peer to peer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, yes, that's definitely would help to kind of bring mass adoption to it if it was more um, usable for just a regular average person. I think um, that's something that we, we neglect as well as a 
a part of the crypto, the current people in the crypto community. There's nothing that's really user friendly for the for the average user. You know, mm. for someone who who's um, maybe not as technically savvy, and and hasn't invested the time to to dive deep into what crypto really is and and different projects. So. And obviously, you know, that's up to them. You know, they would need to do that because it's their money if they want to they want to be smart about it and protect it, you know. So but but I think that would that would also help as well. But the usability is obviously a big thing. Yeah. Just getting people to to use it, to transact. Mm-hmm. I, I got to ask, I, I hope I'm not, I'm not crossing any lines. What happened to John's crypto? I haven't been following that story. I mean, I imagine the guy had some crypto. I imagine he had some Monero. So uh, what's going on? <laughs> you know, there was a thing with the boat. On the boating yeah. accident. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, our boat was um, confiscated in Guatemala and, you know, we haven't seen the coin since then. So, <laughs> so you guys literally are the, the, the living, uh, personification of losing your crypto in a boating accident. That's, <laughs> that's very John-esque. McAfee. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Yeah. So that the keys have they have sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Um, yes, if the if there's anyone listening, if the IRS <laughs> is listening, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, did John, did did he did John like use crypto a lot? Was he like using it to to transact and stuff? Yes, he um, the. There was a Bentley that he bought. I don't know if you guys, if he posted a picture, I think on Twitter, his blue Bentley that he bought using um, crypto. Um, I think he also bought a Corvette for me with crypto. Um, nice. I mean, he tried to use it as much as he could, as, as much as, um, as he, he was able to. Um, obviously, there was... We went house shopping a few places that accepted, you know, kind of just online, not physically going there, but online, you know, there was, um, I forget the name of the website, but we were, you know, just kind of looking at houses that were available using crypto. Um, And something really cool, we actually found a hotel in London after when we got deported from Guatemala to to the UK, he was able to find a, a hotel that accepted Bitcoin while we were flying over. So that was pretty cool. Nice. You should uh, you should come down to Mexico City in May. We're gonna do a, a Monero conference. Nice. Mexico yeah. City. I don't think I'm allowed in Mexico though. I think John said anywhere in South America, just because of my relationship to him, I should probably stay away from. Oh, okay. There. Where where are you right now? You're still in Spain. I'm in Spain. I'm still in Spain. And yeah. so it's are, beautiful here. It's a little chilly, but it's it's beautiful. And if I were here under different circumstances, I would probably enjoy it very much. But um, but it is beautiful. Yeah. You think you're gonna stay there, or you're just there until uh, no. the situation? <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. As soon as soon as I can get his body, I'll be coming. You know, going back to America. That's where my children are, and, and that's I want to be with my children. So, we should mention it again at this point. I don't know if you did if you briefly mentioned in the beginning, but there there is a petition out, correct, to try to help yeah. sway the the government. Yeah, there is a petition. Um, it I, it did help initially. There's um obviously it's not getting much traction now because you know it's a petition and and they don't really do anything other than 
garner attention and it did do that and we were able to actually finally get the death certificate um after the anniversary of his death and with the petition with it it was able to get that that going so it was helpful for that and i think what's what will be most helpful moving forward is just me bringing awareness to people of what's happening here so i'll be doing more interviews uh here locally in spain just to kind of put more pressure on the authorities here or on the courts here so that they can give me a decision so I'm not just sitting here in limbo, you know, waiting. What's uh, what's kind of your, your, your latest theory on what may have actually happened? Um, I, I think it was, I mean, I think what the, what they may be kind of trying to hide is maybe there was some medical um, malpractice mm. that occurred. Okay. And this is why they're not willing to release his remains or the autopsy report. This is this is what I I believe wholeheartedly. Now we can the bigger conspiracy of of was he murdered and all of that we can you know I can I can speculate on that till I'm blue in the face. But you know the. I just want to get the autopsy report, mm. you know, and I, and I want to get his body. And, and if I can do that, then I'll have some answers, you know, I'll have some answers and I'll be able to share that with everyone, you know, because I, I know um, people that loved him, not only just, you know, people here on Twitter or his fans or whatever, but his family, you know, um, mm-hmm. he had family that cared about him and I, I want to be able to get those answers for them as well. So. Yeah. understandable yeah uh, I, I mean has hopefully there... the answers will be coming soon so i'm sorry please no go ahead. Uh, has there ever been a case like this where somebody has been it's they've been held up for that long where they wouldn't release the body is that like a, that's... this is very abnormal for spain very very abnormal this is not something that has ever occurred before um even with the autopsy report i'm told it's not something that they that they just give out, you know, it's not something that they, it's not a standard practice for them to just give it out whenever someone dies. However, if it's asked for, if it's requested, then they, then they turn it over with no problem. And so the fact that they're not turning it over just makes me really believe that, that um, obviously they have something to hide. And has, has, has like your, 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 your theories evolved over time? from you know when this first happened till now um, so. no just because of um you know uh, the the police report that they did this was the the police report came from their investigation so this is what the, the prison provided you know after their investigation and when they finally released that to us uh, i immediately because of what i saw in in the report it immediately stood out to me that there was some medical uh, malpractice there that occurred. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that was always, I, I always fully believed that. And that's, I didn't think that they would try to drag this out. You know, we're talking now, it's, it's been over a year and a half now, you know, and he's, and I'm, I'm still not able to collect his remains, which is just insane. You know, um, you know, I don't think that there's ever been a situation like this in, in the world, you know, where, where they've just refused to release his, you know, someone's remains. Um, mm-hmm. 
and yeah, they've kind of dragged this decision out. I, I don't understand that, you know, when I filed the appeal back in February, or the attorney did, they, um, you know, I, I initially thought it would only take maybe a couple months or, or, well, not even a couple months, but at the max a couple months, but, you, you know, a month maybe to just give me a decision. That's literally all that I'm asking for. Yes or no, will you give me the autopsy report? Um, but in July, I found out that they had um, their deadline was six to eight months. So I had to wait six to eight months for them to give me an answer. And now they didn't, they were now past the eighth month, which would have been October. And I still don't have an answer. And I'm still, you know, waiting for, you know, their response on whether or not they're going to release the autopsy report and in turn then release his remains. Do you have theories of who might be? behind what happened i mean i know you said it's you know there's there's malpractice there but do you think there's other things going on and Uh, obviously there are other things going on just because of you know how long it's been um who's involved and who's who's controlling it who is making the decisions um i you know i don't know that's anybody's guess but um it's just it's just clear to me that they're hiding something and they're willing to continue to hold his body for however long they can. I think what they're trying to do maybe is just wait me out. Maybe they're hoping that I will leave and, you know, just forget about it. But I could never do that. You know, I, I, I want to get these answers for John, for, for, my, for me, you know, uh, for his family, you know, and I could live with myself if I didn't try to push back, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, I know one of the things he's, he said there was, you know, right. A dead man switch where he was going to release information. Right. It wasn't, wasn't that one of the things he had said is, is, is there, uh, you know, do you think they're, they're trying to prevent information from going out? I mean, is there any theories there or, you know, I thought about that actually. I did consider that maybe um, maybe the reason for in the documentary when um, his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, Samantha, at the end, I don't know if you saw the Running with the Devil. I haven't um, watched it yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it now. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm That's going, a spoiler alert then. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going down the rabbit hole. No, no. I'm, it's not a spoiler alert if it's coming from you. I mean, okay. yeah. This is better, better than the documentary. Okay. Well, there are actually articles about it where she said that um, John had called her and from a Texas number and, you know, said that she was one of few people that knew he was alive mm-hmm. and that he asked her to come and run away with, with him. And so, um, why did I mention that? Oh. <laughs> okay. Yes, there we are. So I brought that up to say, you know, I think maybe it's possible that they, that, um, it, whomever wants him wants people to believe that he's alive so that the information doesn't get released um i do believe he had this information that he spoke about that he collected in belize obviously um where it is who has it who can release it i don't know that's something he would have never shared with me but i if i'm just giving my opinion here i don't think it's something or it would be in someone's control you know we're mm-hmm. we're the authorities or whomever is interested could just go to this person or this source or, or whatever it is and, and grab it and, you know, and keep it, prevent it from being released. I think, um, 
he would have found a way to for it to be released um, without having to ask someone or put some put his trust in someone to release it. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. And how about, how about when he got that tattoo? I mean, are, are, you, are you pretty confident that he, he meant what he said on the, on that tattoo? Um, the whacked tattoo? Yeah. I mean, yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so he, he got that, obviously, when we were here in Spain. And it was because, you know, he was, um, you know, getting, as he said, subtle messages that they were, you know, coming for him. And, um things were a little bit more tense at the time um, where, where we were just having to move around so much. Um, and so I think he, he had it, like he said, he had information where people, you know, where there was a, a credible threat maybe to his person. And so he wanted to get that tattoo. Um, I, I guess just as a way to let people know, I, I don't know, to kind of put them on, on alert, I guess, or, or I don't know really he, he always did things that you know were were curious at the time and then you try to figure out okay what was he meaning to say there i mean you don't think, I it think was, it's obviously what he wanted to say but yes yeah it was right to say like he's if you find him if you find him dead it was because yeah. he was whacked right yeah yeah yes and then also what even with the tweet where he spoke about um when when he was in prison and he said if i if um if I'm hung and something to the effect of if I'm hung in my cell or if I'm, you know, if they say I die by suicide or something, a la Epstein, you know, know that it was of no, you know, fault of my own, basically saying, you know, yeah. I wouldn't suicide myself. So it's similar to the whack tattoo, you know. Yeah. Yeah. To, look, to let it be known that he wasn't suicidal, you know, and he wasn't. I you know, we spoke every day while he was in prison. Um, once he was able to get phone privileges, we spoke. And we were able to speak three times a day. Uh, the phone calls were only eight minutes, though. So they were really precious eight minutes. And, you know, we would talk about everything. Obviously, initially, when he went in, it was stressful. Um, obviously, you know, adjusting to prison life. But um, I think he was handling it very well. At least he, you know, I didn't hear it. I couldn't hear it in his voice. Obviously, I would have been able to tell, you know, you know, and sometimes I could, and he was in pain, always in a lot of pain just because of the, you know, he's older and his knees were, he had bad knees and a torn Achilles tendon that he never got surgery on. So he had these, oh, wow. you know, these physical ailments that, um, that kept him in pain a lot. And, and they weren't really doing anything to help with that, you know, maybe giving him Advil, but, but that was it. So for the most part, I think his, um, he was handling his prison term like a champ, I guess, if I can say it that way, you know, just handling it, the, you know, the best that he could, you know, that was the situation that he was in and he, and he just tried to manage it as best he could. They called him Papa America. He got that nickname. 
we call him Papa America a lot. He always said that a lot of the prisoners were surprised that he was in there just because of who he was and, and what his, his crime was because they actually had him in um, what in America we would call general population. So that's where you're with all the other criminals, you know, so he wasn't segregated or in like some old folks wing, you know, he was with everybody, the murderers, the rapists, the drug traffickers, you know, human traffickers. He was, oh, wow. you know, with them all. So, um, but he said that the guards were, were kind to him. You know, they, they treated him all right. You know, people really looked out for him. The the prisoners did anyways. You know, they they took a liking to him, obviously. He's very likable. That's His charisma got, got him through as usual. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. That's that's unbelievable. What what uh what was it like? I mean, living off the grid. I mean, are you? I know. Are you still kind of li- trying to live that li- lifestyle? Are you still <laughs> fo- following um, those ways? I'm not trying to live the lifestyle, but just because of the situation, I'm having to be continuing to be on on guard. But I think honestly, I think it's something that's so ingrained in me that I will always live. Um, situationally aware at all times it's just it's just like breathing to me now you know um so when things happen where people are following me or something which has happened you know since john passed and i'm not sure if it's because i'm asking questions and and maybe they don't want me asking questions but uh, whatever the reason you know I've, i've obviously had to continue to to practice the things that I learned with John, as well as the things that I learned prior to my meeting him. But I think um, my meeting him obviously put me in a, in a situation where, you know, the people that were coming after John were on a whole other level than I ever dealt with. And so um, just being aware of their tactics and how they move and, and um, that has been very helpful for me as far as just kind of noticing a shift in, in, um, my environment but when, being off the grid um it was very stressful I let me answer that it was extremely stressful being off the grid so when we had to leave America which was January 2019 my brother had just died November of 2018 so I'm I'm mourning um I wasn't able to tell my family that we were leaving but I was able to see um spend Christmas with my kids we, it was a beautiful uh, two weeks we went to Disneyland for, for a week it was awesome so I was able to make those memories with them which was something that I wanted to do because I didn't know what was going to happen you know I didn't know what was going to once we left America you know John he, he told me you know I have to leave he said yeah, and it's up to you you know you can choose to come with me or stay um what? but I chose to go with him yes go ahead go ahead go ahead I'm sorry go ahead <laughs> no, okay. no problem um yeah, I, I chose to go with him, but it was, wasn't um, completely selfless thing or just me wanting to support him. Obviously, I wanted to do that, but but also because I was named in the secret indictment. And I thought my thinking was if I stayed behind, then they would try to come after me as a means to try and, of trying to go after him. And mm-hmm. I felt that he would be safer. It would be safer for me if I went with him. Um, 
being on the boat was very stressful as well because you know you're close quarters with people and we had the dogs with us and um but they were happy you know we obviously we were docked we weren't out to sea all the time we were docked you know at different ports so Mm -hmm. they were able to go on the beach and um my my puppies the the german shepherds they liked coconuts (laughs) so we'd have all these coconut shreddings on the back of the boat um you know and they got to go on the beach and just run and play and dig and and have fun so it was nice for the dogs um but but really really it was really stressful you know and and john drank a lot obviously just because he wanted to enjoy his time you know he didn't know when when we could got could have gotten um, caught or him being arrested or something. So so obviously he enjoyed himself, but because of the stress of the situation as well, he, you know, probably overindulged a lot. But um, but we you know we tried to keep each other. Um, you know, I I guess I could say I tried to just minimize his stress. You know, and I tried to just be um, someone who was just watching his back. You know, where he yeah. could feel comfortable with knowing that. You know, I'm I'm on guard as well. I'm watching for anything that's happening or or anyone that might have had nefarious um, intents towards him. So you were ride or die, ride or die. (laughs) Man, intense intense relationship. I I, (laughs) Danita's got to listen to this later when she when she complains about the intensity of of our situation. So they come on, (laughs) nothing compared to this. That's. So what would, what did what was John's plan? Like what did he tell you kind of his plan was? It was like there was no like we're just, you know, on the run and I have to keep moving or was there an ultimate, you know, end of the rainbow scenario where you guys could <laughs> kind of settle down and and not feel, you know, f- and finally feel at ease? What was what was there a plan though? So the the initial plan was just to get to the Bahamas, you know, because mm-hmm. there was no income tax there and um because of the um, the charges against him because they were tax related. That's that's what the current charges were at the time. Um, he couldn't be extradited from the Bahamas because there is no income tax in the Bahamas. And so in order to be extradited from a country, the crime that you're accused of has to be a crime in the country that you're in. So that's why we went to the Bahamas. And and the, and the, the plan was also to just, you know, so, um, to avoid being collected, you know, and and that's what we did. But what happened in the Bahamas was that they came up with this plan to, instead of, obviously, since they couldn't extradite him, so then they decided, he said he got word somehow, I'm not sure, that they were going to plan on on coming and arresting him for anything, whatever it was, drunken, disorderly, something, just to get him in custody mm-hmm. and then ship him back to America. And so what happened one day, we when he found that out, we went sort of into hiding on the island and we had security footage or security cameras on our boat and we had some footage of of the police actually coming onto the boat while we were you know in hiding so from there we left and went to cuba and obviously i don't think i need to explain why we went to cuba because you know it's clear that uh, cuba would never cooperate with america under any circumstances yeah. so we were relatively comfortable there very mm-hmm. comfortable actually for a few months but then what happened with that was that um um john and i were out and and one day someone came to our boat 
with a slip saying that they wanted John to come to this area for to meet with someone. It didn't say who. And so I went with him and it, would, it looked like old army barracks or something. I don't know. It looked very scary. We were nervous. Oh my God, and, I can only imagine. Very nervous. Yeah. So, and the general, he spoke to the general and the general said that the, you know, where the U S has requested that we send you back, you know, to them. Oh, wow. um, But we're not going to do that. They said, but you have 72 hours to leave. You know, you can't stay here anymore. You know, we appreciate you being here. They, you know, they weren't unhappy with us being there, you know, um, obviously, but they, um, you know, they gave us 72 hours. So we had to figure out how to get out of there. And we had just sent our captain home because he had been with us for, you know, a, a few months or, or a month or so. I'm not sure. But he had just went home, you know, kind of for a vacation and he was going to come back in a week. And so we were trying to find someone else to captain our boat. And, you know, at the last minute, I think we had like 12 hours left. The captain was able to come back. And this, um, the representative, the same one that came initially to the boat to bring the slip, he, he came, I think, um, the second day and the third day as well and said, okay, you know, are you going to be gone? You know, you have X amount of time. And John told him, you know, if I have to swim <laughs> to get away from here, I'll do that. And so, but we were able to leave there. And then from there, we went to Guatemala. I mean, I'm sorry, not Guatemala, the Dominican Republic. And that was a whole another situation. I've, I've been talking a lot. Maybe let me let you ask another question. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm living for you. Uh, amazing stories. I mean, are, are you going to, are you going to look back with regret at these? I mean, is that just kind of a, you know, are you going to look back like, Oh my God, those were amazing, amazing moments. Definitely. Um, with pride and the, because they were amazing moments, you know, yeah. um, John, John was such, he was so amazing. You know, um, I know he gets a lot of flack from people because they didn't understand his methods. Um, but he was an amazing man and he, he really, really had a love for people and he wanted to make everyone around him comfortable. That's what he always tried to do. And, and he always tried to make sure everyone was, was enjoying themselves and having a good time and they had what they needed, you know, this is what was important to him. You know, we would go out. That's why you would see, you see the videos and things. It wasn't all fun and games, but, but he tried to make it entertaining. He tried to make it fun because the situation was so stressful and so heavy for him and myself, you know, no one else was really in any danger, you know, um, but he and I were, but he tried to make it, you know, a, a good time for everybody, you know, while still trying to um, conduct business and, he just was brilliant in that way. And so I will always look back on on my time with him as the best time of my life, you know. What what was like his philosophy? If you would have sat down with him like, you know, like why why are we doing this? You know, can't we is there another way? Uh, you know, why are we on the run? What was what was how was he seeing it from his standpoint morally? Why was why did he feel like he was doing the right thing? Um, because he felt at, at that time that he had paid more than his fair share of taxes. I believe he said it over $50 million in his, in his, um, adult lifetime, obviously when he created the antivirus and, um, up until he was deported back from Guatemala to America. 
So in between that time, he had paid taxes and he felt that he had paid his fair share. And this, you know, taxes being, um, taxation being theft was the hill that he wanted to die on, if you will. You know, he he really felt passionate about that, that they were illegal. Obviously, they are cons- um, um, unconstitutional taxes, income taxes. And just trying to, I, I don't know if it, maybe his philosophy, but he just wanted to wake people up. He just wanted to wake people up from their slumber of this is how life is because it's always been this way. This is how it has to always be, you know, because I was raised to believe this or because I was taught to believe this or do this. This is what I have to do. You know, I can't step outside of of, of the box of normality, whatever that is for each individual. And he wanted to very much break that, you know, um, that illusion. Or, or whatever, you know, he just wanted to shock people out of their slumber, you know, and, and wake up to the reality of the world around us and, and try to help get people present in the now, you know, we're so focused on either the regrets of our past or what what we want our future to be that we're, we're missing what's happening now, you know, but I will say maybe a philosophy of his, he always would say this at the end of his podcast, I don't know if he said it to you, when you guys spoke, but he said, do, do what you love and, and only what you love. And he said, if it's, he would always give the example of shiny shoes. And he'd say, if you, if that's what you love to do, he said, do that. And he said, and, and, you know, the world will respond. You will, you'll find a way, you'll figure out a way to, to make it profitable, to make money from it, you know? And, and I think that's so true right now. So many people are stuck in jobs that they hate, stuck in families that they, you know, or marriages that they're, you know, they hate their spouses. You know, the love is no longer there. Um, children doing things to just please their parents or, or, or whatever it is. You know, there's so many miserable people in this world. And I think if we could accept that, you know, it's a little scary because you say, okay, well, I have this job and it right now it provides for my family and everything, but I, I do have this other passion that I want to do, but I'm scared if, you know, what if I lose this income? But if you're really truly passionate about it, you'll find a way to, to make an income from it. You know, you'll find a way to be able to provide what you need um, to survive. And I think that's very important. It's, I think it's so important because it uh, it shows in our society. Everybody's so miserable. That's why we're at each other's throats. I mean, I'm not saying that this will cure that because we'll still be at each other's throats for some reason or another. But I think if people could kind of minimize their misery, that maybe that could be a step in, in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, so his philosophy is, you know, live life to the, follow your heart, be an individual, yeah. be who follow you are. Heart. That's what life is all yeah. about, which I think is why he was so privacy conscious, right? And wanted to build the, you know, was into these technologies that wouldn't allow for surveillance because he wanted to make sure that people can preserve their individuality. He, he saw that as the, as the greatest gift. Uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, that's what makes us human. I mean, so what do you, what do you think? Do you think, is, was he ultimately, was he an optimist about this? Like he, he saw the impending dystopia upon us, right? Or it's already here, but growing. Uh, but he also saw cryptocurrency, this, you know, miraculous solution. I mean, does, did he feel like things were going to work out and, you know, the, the people would win individuality would win or what was his, what was his, his take? 
Do you know? I don't, I don't know. That's a question, obviously. I mean, I, yeah, I can't. Yeah, it's a tough question. Yeah. I don't know that he really ever voiced that, you know. Um, was he an optimist about it? Was, you know, is, was crypto going to succeed and we were going to, you know, uh, the state, the, the state apparatus as, as we know, it would, would be a former shell. Of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did he um, see obviously like, that was um, the hope. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely the hope. Um, but John was, I, I, an optimist he was not John, John was okay. not <laughs> he was a realist but um i think i don't think he really would have given that much thought now here i'm just kind of stepping in and, and putting maybe my opinion just giving my opinion of what i think i think um what he was focused on it was just trying to wake people up to this you mm -hmm. know um and then and, 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 and in any way that he could you know and also spreading the word about crypto as much as he possibly could and, and about the benefits of it to to us the people you know because it's created by the people it's for the people and as long as we don't let the government come in with their regulations and their foolery you know and these cbdc's you know i think i hope everyone can see them for what they are but unfortunately for the masses you know i i for for me i see that maybe that the, that is something that may be adopted just because of the volatility in this space mm -hmm. and just because of situations like FTX. Yeah. You know, um, this is something that, that people that aren't already in crypto, if mm -hmm. they're looking at that and they're seeing that, then they're going to say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'll, I'm going to use this, you know, what the government has to offer, you know, mm -hmm. and not, not accepting the truth of the government, which is it's corrupt to its core. You know, and they're going to do the same thing with crypto that they've done with the dollar, with fiat currency, <laughs> you know, if they could do it, that's what they're going to do. And and if we allow that to have mass adoption, we're going to be totally enslaved. I'm not sure that there's much that can be done to prevent it. You know, I think that they are working hard towards that goal. You know, obviously they can't have this, um, you know, cryptocurrency in the, in the hands or in the hands of the people you know they want to have their they want to have their stronghold on it you know they want mm -hmm. to be able to control people and collect whatever they want to collect and and they'll be able to have all of our information and there will be no freedom left once that happens um i think we can maybe ward it off you know maybe defend ourselves against it for a while but i think eventually i'm sorry if this sounds a little doom and gloom but i mm -hmm. i'm just i'm just watching how things are happening you know and and unfortunately, the masses, they're still, I mean, I think we could see with COVID, with the situation with COVID, that yeah. people are still very much trusting their governments and trusting that they have our best interests at heart when it's clear that they don't, even with the COVID situation. I think, you know, the I read the article about, um, I forget which, um, what, what, um, organization it was but anyway she was there was a mentioning amnesty we should we need to have amnesty oh my now. god yeah and, yeah and that was such an insane thing because people were so demonized people lost their jobs their homes yeah. their lives you know um all of these terrible things happened because our governments thought it was a good idea to shut down everything and there were people john was one in the beginning that were saying you know this is not it's it's not as, as serious of a problem to shut down a country you know you're shutting you know mm -hmm. keeping everybody locked in their homes and and there's going to be massive ramifications 
from that. You know, we, we knew this going in and yet they still pushed for it and you still have people defending it, you know, and, and that's why I say, you know, um, maybe not, we're not doomed, but definitely that the government will feel or, or the powers that be will, will find a way to worm themselves into the situation and we'll find ourselves in a kind of dystopian uh, futures um, akin to uh, Georgia Orwell's 1984. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you really killed the moon. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. But I think, I think us as individuals, we have, we have a way with the privacy coins. This yeah. is why we need more. No, no. I, I think the fight against it, and I think John would agree because this is basically what he touched upon in that, in that interview was it's about adoption. It's about people yeah. using it. The, the, and I, this is what I always say too, you know, that the solution is there. It exists. The technology is there. It works. The network exists. Now we just all need to onboard. Uh, yeah. So I, I get what you're saying, you know, the pessimistic view that people just aren't, yeah, <laughs> aren't going to because they're, they're sheep. And we, we've seen so many examples of it uh, most recently with the entire world shutting down uh, and, you know, being, being fooled into, into fe fearing this thing where they were willing to give up all, all rights, uh, you know, to, to their, to their government. Um, but I am an optimist. I do think, I do think yeah. people are I, as much as like it hurt to watch the mass psychosis. I do think a lot of people woke up after there was a percentage and, you know, with the internet, you know, with the, you know, the internet and podcasts and all the, like word, word is getting out and crypto is getting into people's hands and, People are, are really, you know, they are sheep. So it's going to, I think it's going to take a lot longer than we think, you know, but uh, eventually the herd is all going to rush in the other direction. I feel, I feel like, it, I don't know. I'm a, I'm an optimist, but. <laughs> That's cool. I think uh, um, I like your optimism and, and I could be completely wrong. You know, um, I am very, um, very much a pessimist. <laughs> if I but, wasn't, um, I don't know what I'd be doing here, right? I'm like, I would just be wasting my, <laughs> wasting my time trying to onboard people. Up there. I, I think there is value in, in, in education, obviously, and, and helping people to understand the technology and onboarding, getting people onboarded. And I think if there was more unity in the space, you know, um, where people weren't so much in their feelings about whatever coin that they're backing or whatever, um, crypto celebrity that they're backing you know we, we're very tribal in that way but we don't have to be at each other's throats because we we are trying to build this ecosystem to replace the current system and and we need all hands on deck we need all everybody's ideas we need to be sharing ideas we need to be working together mm -hmm. because we're trying to re replace this burdensome burdensome system that has been um keeping us from from being in charge of our own money and, and because we're trying to replace that, like I said, we need everybody working together in, in, a, in a way that helps to get more people involved, more people excited about the space. And, and, and how, hopefully that will bring about mass adoption, you know, greater adoption. Yeah, no, it's it's a shame to see because the community of people that truly believe in the in the proper ideals of crypto, you know, for what it is, you know, censorship resistant digital cash, it's a small community to begin with, right? There's only so many people yeah. in, on this globe that actually agree like that's important tech, and then among them, they're all fighting each other, which you know, which way to go because of the bags that they hold. I mean, I, I'm guilty as charged yeah. too, but it's it's unfortunate. <laughs> we, we need to unite. We need to unite. Yeah. 
I don't know. I guess it'll sure. take time. We Jan- also need de- decentralized exchanges. I'm sorry. I'm just oh, go ahead. There yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Decentralized exchanges for sure. That will also help us to you know to kind of uh, veer away from what John was working. John was working on one. Did he ever launch? Wasn't he like being a part of that one of those projects? I remember when I interviewed yeah. him. I don't remember did it did it ever launch or? Um, I don't think it launched, you know, obviously when he went to prison, you know, things kind of, um, you know, went sideways with, with all of that. So I'm not sure what, what's happening with those projects, but I think Ghost is still going, which was his privacy coin that he was working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure about his decks. I know he was working, there was a Dex he was working on, but yeah, I'm we not have, sure if We have uh, Havino. I don't know if you heard of that. That's being built by the Monero community. That's going to be a decentralized exchange. It's Monero-based. Sarai Dex is being built. Uh, That's going to be essentially Monero-based and a way to swap between other coins, kind of like a ThorChain. I don't know if you're familiar with ThorChain, but it's like a Monero-based. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of solutions being built. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. That's 100% is what we need. We need, I mean, you saw it with FTX, right? It's the same. It's nothing new. It happened with, you know, Mt. Gox years ago, right? Like this is nothing new. People act like, oh my God, crypto's dead. Like, no, centralized exchanges are dead. They don't work. There's there's (laughs) solutions, but you can keep losing your money there until you're like, like we said, it's just going to take people some time, but once it, it hits their pockets enough, people will might and once the other solutions become user friendly enough, which they're gonna get there. You know, there's there's no reason why they can't be both uh, decentralized and you know easy to access. So yeah, totally agree. That that's a major, major utility that we need. We need you we need you down in Monerotopia, Mexico. I don't know. <laughs> Talk to your attorney. Okay. <laughs> um, Janice, thank you so much. This is an amazing uh, interview. I greatly appreciate you coming on and being so genuine and letting me ask you personal questions in front of you know million, all our millions of viewers. Uh, I know I, I appreciate you. it. Thank you for doing it. Where yeah. where can people you know follow you? And we'll continue off on here, but I usually do this just so you get the information at. Like obviously, you want people to go to the petition. Just any information that you want people to have links put it out there um, so you can find me on twitter obviously at at the mrs mcafee so i'm sure people are already there but um that's where you can find updates about what's happening with john um i've also the petition as well although um more so more so just following me on twitter and if there's any um news organizations that are listening i'd be happy to speak with you i would just want to really get the word out about what's happening here in Spain and to really try to apply more pressure on the authorities here so that I am not here still in limbo waiting, you know, for John's remains to be released because I want to lay him to rest. He deserves that. Yeah, guys, sign, sign the petition. It's, uh, you know, let's, let's put pressure on this. Cause this is, this is bullshit. You know, people deserve, whether you, whether you even agree with the story and the fact is this government is, is, is greatly overstepped here. Uh, and it, it shouldn't be doing this. So sign this petition and maybe it'll, maybe we'll get their attention. Right. Um, I think you're doing a great thing, you know, put, put, you know, putting your energy towards this and trying to, uh, you know, bring attention to it and, and, and make change. And I, I know, I know it's not easy, especially with the, you know, all the emotions that you're dealing with. So 
the least we could do is sign your petition. Guys, do it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, are you are are you down to answer some questions from the community if we transition into the space? Yeah. Anybody that wants to come up, just uh, request to be a speaker. Eric, what's going on? Yeah, hello. I wanted to um, to ask a question to uh, Janice. Uh, did you use um, other privacy uh, systems or protocols like uh, Tor Browser or PGP uh, to uh, encrypt a uh, message or some uh, secure uh, mail messaging, etc.? Um, yes, yes, we've used, I've used that, um, Tor browser, uh, encrypted, encrypted messaging. But I think John was, um, because he was, he was so knowledgeable about security that he always felt that, um, encrypted messaging was, was no longer, um, a viable way of protecting your, your messages because there was no longer a man in the middle, if you will, you know, there was no. That wasn't happening anymore because our our phones were then you know our our were spying on us so they didn't have to use that sort of encryption because they already had where it had abilities to get the information before it's encrypted so he felt that that was just unnecessary technology and and because he was so knowledgeable it's obviously something that I you know I would um, take his advice on it so I I have used these things but. Um, it's not something that's essential to my, my everyday life. Good question. Good question. Anybody else want to jump up? The narrow community is always very shy. <laughs> it's Okay. Well, don't be shy, guys. <laughs> I will answer your questions to the best of my ability. Come on, guys. Somebody jump up. Wow, we were just listening. <laughs> All right, we can we can leave it at that. We don't we don't need to push the issue. Uh, Janice, greatly appreciate you doing all this, jumping on, doing it on a Twitter space. Uh, thank you so much. And yeah, if anybody has a question, oh wait, we got a oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. People are stepping up. <laughs> See, I just had to, I just had to threaten them there, and then they're. There you go on the step up. Now, Jordan Raptor, what's going on? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, uh, thank you, Janice. Uh, it's it was really uh, impactful listening to your story. Uh, I was wondering, do you have anything to say to a lot of? There's a lot of privacy people that you know are constantly kicking the bee's nest and posting stuff on Twitter and uh, being controversial. Are there is there any things that uh, you would advise? Uh, people not to do or that you guys did that you're like, ah, eh, maybe shouldn't have, uh, maybe shouldn't have poked the bee's nest in that way or precautions to take that, uh, that uh, maybe aren't very well known. Um, okay. When you say poke the bee's nest, in what, in what way do you mean exactly? Well, for instance, saying uh, inflammatory things, you know, to like screw the fed and stuff like that. I mean, McAfee got a lot of attention, and and for that reason, I think he he's done a lot of good. Uh, but like, were there any big mistakes looking back on your trail that that you would be like, hey, if you're in privacy, if you want to be vocal about privacy, uh, you can do it, but maybe avoid these things. They were difficulties for us. Um. Okay, that's a really good question. So 
so John was, he was able to be more in your face about things just because they were already coming after him. So there was no need for him to hold his tongue. Um, um, and there was nothing that he was doing was going to prevent them from coming after him or stop them from coming after them. They were already going to come. And so I think that's why he was able to be so um, so aggressive in his, his rhetoric. I think fierce. that's what I could say. Yes, fierce as well um, and fearless. But I think for for the average person who's who's not dealing with um, you know the intensity of of the situation that we were in, I think there are ways obviously to communicate your your um, I guess there, there's ways to speak without being so inflammatory. I guess I think I'm understanding what you're saying. Yeah, you don't have to be so in your face as John was, but at the same time, though, the situation kind of calls for it. You know, if you look at at what's happening in the world today, there's so much blatant corruption, and they just throw it in our faces, and we yeah. and we don't we don't say anything, we don't do anything, or, or a lot of us take the attitude of well you know, what's my little voice going to do? Or this is how it's been and this is how it's going to always be. But but as long as we continue to accept it, that's why they're able to continue to do what they're doing, you know? Um, and I think John's methods were, were helpful because he was able maybe to get people's attention. You know, we live in an age where people have the attention span of a gnat. You know, they, they, you, know mm-hmm. you're, you get maybe 30 seconds. You know, that's why TikTok is so popular. You know, you got short videos. People don't have the attention span for in-depth conversations. And so what John did is he carefully crafted his public figure persona to be that shock value, to get that attention. You know, I bet you there's way more people in the world that know that he, about his Bitcoin prediction than, than the people that have listened to him actually speak when he's gone and done interviews or gone and done um, talks at different conferences. You know, <laughs> they, they don't know that. And when you hear those things, then you can see he was really passionate and very knowledgeable about what he was saying. And, and you could see the difference between what he would tweet about and how it was just used to get people's eyeballs so that he then could then share what his true message was. So I, I think people have to find their own their own voice and their own way of kind of trying to bring awareness. And and if they want to kick the, the hornets, the bees nest, as you said, you know, just be aware that, that they will target you and, and they will come after you and you have to just be prepared for that. Thank you very much and God bless. Thank you. Great, great questions, guys. And uh, great, fantastic response. Anybody else? My guys, jump up. Go ahead, Janice. Yeah, I don't bite you guys. You can ask questions. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I would just well, maybe I'll just speak a little more about the 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 gentleman's previous question uh, about kicking the horn. You know, like I was saying, John John had this um, because he was older. You know, people say when you get older, you stop giving a fuck what people think. <laughs> And there's no, you lose the filter, you know, and you just, you just really just say what, what you want, you do what you want. And, and that's very much how he lived. And, and because he knew how the system worked, because he had, you know, intimate knowledge of, of the inner workings of these governments, 
from them coming after him or just because of the work that he did with his antivirus. Um, I think he, he felt that it was more his duty, you know, almost like it was his duty. I think he had said to me before that he, he didn't know why he had to, why he had to do the things that he did, but it was like something was calling him to do, to speak up, you know, to, to be this voice, you know, and he didn't necessarily, um, obviously he didn't want to have to deal with the consequences of that, but he couldn't not be silent. You know, it, it was just something that he was extremely passionate about and something that he wanted to, to be able to bring a voice to, you know, as someone who had been behind on the other side, you know, he had at one point a hundred million dollars. So he rubs shoulders with all of these people with, you know, and so he understood how, how, things were actually working behind the scenes, behind the curtain. And I think he wanted to give that, share that knowledge with, with his followers. But maybe someone has a question now. Yeah. Monegro. <laughs> oh, Monegro. Hi, Janice. Hi. <laughs> thanks, um, thanks so much for doing this. It's really, um, really cool of you to uh, jump on here and chat with us. I um I was curious if I understand correctly y'all spent quite a lot of time on the ocean um, sailing kind of trying to avoid the uh, the long arm of the government I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit what that was like um, what how was that experience um, being out on the ocean so much um it was it was very stressful I think I've, I've mentioned that um, but it it was very stressful and it it was fun. And we were actually, we weren't on, it was just a few months. I think we were from January of 2019 until um, maybe early July of 2019. So we were traveling on the boat for those, you know, that time. And we went to the Bahamas and Cuba. And and that was amazing. Going going to Cuba was amazing. The people there were such beautiful people. They, they were a happy people, obviously, not happy with their government situation, you know, obviously not happy with the standard of living. However, they still had joy in their hearts. They still smiled, they still loved and laughed. And that was something that was very inspiring for me to see that, you know, because, uh, um, you know, obviously I don't, I think everyone is familiar with the situation in Cuba, you know, not to mention the U.S., you know, with their sanctions that they still have uh, against Cuba, but also their their own government, you know, that's kind of been abusive towards them. So anyways, I think just, I'm just saying that just because if anyone has an opportunity to go to Cuba, it's just, I like the place because it was, you know, somewhere where um, America couldn't get their stronghold on, you know, that Cuba really just said, fuck you, America. And they survived, albeit, you know, not in the best of circumstances, but I think that's pretty badass, you know, um, and and the people again were just beautiful and the bahamas was beautiful um we got to be together so that was that was really good and, and john you know john was john you know and he, he just trying to make sure everybody was happy and comfortable and had a good time and you know just trying to relieve some stress for him you know we so we he drank and we smoked weed and it was i mean Obviously, from what our posts on Twitter, it looks like, you know, it was some sort of um, 
you know, awesome time. And it was, it was a lot of times, but it was very stressful for him more so because he had more knowledge of what exactly was happening and, and how they were coming after, after him. So, um, I, w- I wouldn't recommend it if, if it's something that you can avoid. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely, I would say do that. Try to try to avoid it. But um, but if it's not, then you just make the most. You make the best of it. You know, you you deal. You take it one day at a time and and um, handle each crisis as it comes. You know. What kind of plans do you have um, for the future? Hopefully, after you can get the. Um all the legal issues sorted out? Um, well, to be with my children, I, I say this a lot, but I just really want to be with my children. I miss them so much. Um, so be just to be a mom over there, obviously, that's the biggest thing. But um, aside from that, um, I, want to, I want a book. I want to write a book, obviously, to tell the story of, of my life, you know, prior to John, and then obviously our story. And I want to help women. I want to help women that were, that are in, um, you know, prostitution or in, in some sort of form of that of that business or that world. I want to be able to speak to them and help them in whatever way I can. Um, I want to be able to help, you know, women, men, and children all that that are in abusive situations. You know, kind of be a voice, give a voice to that as well because that that was my situation. You know, um, prior to my meeting John. Um, yeah, I just want to be able to help people you know, in whatever way I can, however that comes to fruition. Um, I'm, I'm down for that. So right now I'm just using um, my platform and um, my relationship with John, obviously, to, to kind of help cultivate and, I guess, move me into that direction of being an, an advocate for, for women that are, are, you know, in prostitution and in that world and, and for abuse, people that are in abusive situations as well. Body, great questions, man. Tony, what's going on, man? What do you got? Hey, everybody. Um, hey, Janice. First of all, I'm, I'm happy Hi. that um, this came along and it's working, the Twitter spaces. It's such a good idea listening to um, the podcast and being able to actually ask a question. I think that's that's just awesome. And uh, now for my question, uh, Janice, you're, first of all, you're a very strong woman and uh, you've been through a lot. And I want to ask you a more positive question. Um, what other passions did uh, John McAfee have? Like what other interests did he have? Like uh, reading books or he really enjoy some sports or? Yeah, he, okay, so he did like sports. Um... He's very much someone against that, actually. Um, but his passions, obviously, drinking, <laughs> um, women, this is passion. Um, but okay, something not so silly. He loved the piano. He loved playing the piano, and and wherever we were, he had to have a piano, and he would play, and it would help to, you know, relieve whatever stress or whatever he was thinking about. He would just zone out and be so at peace whenever he played so that was always awesome to hear him play um guns obviously that's something he was passionate about just as, in a means as a means of, of protecting uh, a, a means of protection and um he was very obviously very passionate about that reading books that that came more so 
you know, when he was in prison, not, not, um, he didn't really read so much uh, before then, you know, he was just always so busy, so I didn't have the time to. And some of the books that he was reading in prison were, there's a lot of sci-fi, a lot of, um, did you do Krishnamurti? Um, I hope I'm saying that right, <laughs> Krishnamurti. Oh my God, that's awesome. Wow, that's awesome. The, the Dune uh, Saga books. Um, I'm trying to think of the science fiction ones. Maybe I'll share them when I get a, a better idea of what they were. But there was a lot of science fiction and a lot of Krishnamurti that he read um, when he was in prison. Other passions. I think I covered them all. Yeah, drinking, uh, swimming, <laughs> piano playing, and just just enjoying life. You know, just enjoying life and being present in the the moment at all times you know and and also i guess another passion would be crypto and people you know he he wanted to he had a, a real love for people and he wanted to do what he could to help them uh, see the reality of their situation and and help them to see that they could break out from the stagnation of their normality whatever it was to have a uh, a better life to make a better experience of living for themselves you know by following their heart you know as scary as it is to do sometimes because you're 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 going to be venturing into unknown territory and that's always scary that's one of the scariest things for me that i that i'm dealing with you know kind of venturing into the unknown and sometimes it's safer to just stay in in what you've been doing you know stay in that cycle of whatever whatever it is whether it's going to a job that you hate or staying in a loveless marriage or or you know whatever whatever it is you know but but I think he just wanted people to he wanted to inspire people to have the courage to to step out into that unknown and and just to follow your heart and, and trust that by following your heart, your you know your path will be revealed to you as you as you follow your heart. Beautiful, thank you. That's that's a very beautiful response, and I'm happy that you went into details of what uh, books you read because that's going to be my second question. And Jiddu uh, Krishnamurti, yes, that's uh, you said it correctly, and he's uh, an amazing um, offer. So, all in all, thank you so much for. Uh, joining the podcast thank you so much for that lengthy response and also humorous because you didn't mention the woman and <laughs> all the other things so uh, thank you so much dennis thank you thank you oh wow. also uh, really quickly i'm sorry i just want to add something about books um john is also an author and he wrote uh, many books that you can go and, and find i think they're still being sold on amazon and he told me that the book that he was most proud of is uh, Journey to Self, I believe it's called, Journey to Self. And um, so that's a good book if you want to read something that, in his words, and, and also his other books as well. But those are good books to read, just to get a, a little deeper glimpse into his mind, you know. We need to sell those at, uh, at Monerotopia for Monero. I gotta check that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roy, what's going on, man? Go ahead, Roy. Hi, Roy. Are you there? 
don't know. Somebody else? Anybody else have a question? Ah, uh, my mic was oh, off. Here he, sorry. Here he is. Here he is. <laughs> Go ahead, man. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> um, Janice, um, yeah. you lived in a Faraday cage. Yes. Um, I, um, I'm one of those people that's known as a targeted individual. And um, I followed John for a very long time. And um, I was fascinated by his um, by his Faraday cage and the jammers that he had in his place as well. Um, do you think that that protected you and uh, kept the bad people away from you? Um, it most definitely did. You know, uh, just to correct you a little bit, we didn't actually live in the Faraday cage, but when we wanted to get online, we would go into the room, um, and it was just something that was temporary until we could have a more permanent solution. But it definitely was very effective. We we obviously didn't use our, our devices outside of the room. We, we kept them in, in the room. And... Um, Again, it was very effective as as far as keeping people uh, away from knowing where we were exactly. And actually, just to um, share this little bit, that when John was arrested in Barcelona, it wasn't because they had actually tracked him electronically. It was because they had flagged his passport as stolen. So when he went to check in for his flight, there, you know, they stopped him or they um, they detained him because his passport was flagged as stolen and once they detained him that's when they then um, issued the, the warrant for his arrest and then they then took him to the prison so it was very effective um, as far as keeping people from knowing where we were right thanks ever so much Janeth because I remember you were going out for a meal one night I know this must have been a few years ago and I thought to myself, if you're going out for a meal, surely somebody would would tittle tattle that would see you and John out. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Honestly, when we when we would go out, not a lot of people um, knew who he was, so that was you know very good. Um, and once once people did start realizing who he was, they, you know, he was just a guy. You know, they like he wasn't wanted you know if you will there's like not wanted posters hanging up of him you know what i'm saying there was actually not even any, any warrants against him at the time because we were able to travel to italy and germany and um, oh wow and other places so we were able to travel throughout europe during this time and and there was never any issue there was never any issue with with uh, the authorities as far as detaining him um because of, of these charges. There was no problem like that at all. So this is just something that happened in Barcelona, I guess, because once he was detained and in custody, then you know, they had the means to then issue their warrant for these charges and, and have him, you know, then properly detained so that they could have him extradited. Right. Well, I, I just want to say thanks ever so much for letting me speak and um, bless your heart, Janice, and peace and love to you. Thank you, Roy. Peace and love to you as well. Wow. Roy, thanks for stopping in. That's awesome. Thank you, Jan Douglas. Yeah. Jan Janice, I saw actually you had a, you did a podcast recently. You were on somebody's podcast when I was researching you today where you guys were talking about uh, Faraday cages, right? I think you had somebody that yes. actually like sells them or builds them. 
Yes, actually, he was um, he was talking about um, how effective that they are, but it's very they're very expensive, um, and so that's that's the the issue with if you're just an average person who's trying to figure out how to protect yourself in this way, it's extremely expensive to try to get yourself a Faraday cage. However, he spoke about some material that you can get, and it works in the same way. Um, again, if you look at the podcast, it's, it's um, my podcast I'm doing with Rob Logia. It's called the No Sugar Podcast, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> but if you go to this um, to the podcast, maybe I will put a link here so people can watch it. But he speaks about this material that you can use, and it's not very expensive. And if you know how to sew, you can sew it into you know your a, a bag or something, and it works in the same way that it will block the signal. And um, it'll keep people from knowing where you are. But you still have to remember that you still have the same habits. You're still going to have the same habits, your online habits. That's probably the most difficult thing, I think, for people to to understand. If if you're really in a situation where you're trying to hide out from people, you have to be you have to be aware of of those habits that will be identified that will identify you online. You know, so like, obviously, you're going to be on social media, probably, or you're going to be contacting family members or friends or, and these are also ways that, that people can know that you're you, you know, by even so even if you're able to um, keep people from knowing where you are, maybe it's you still have these, these identifiers that you have to be aware of as well. And, and maybe if you're really in a situation where you need to hide out, you would you would have to obviously probably cut off that contact. So, you know, these are just extreme uh, an extreme example of of what what you would have to do. Obviously, for us, that wasn't something that was necessary to do. We just needed to not um, have people know where we where we were. So, you know, we were able to speak and be on social media and and call family and and do all those normal things with no problem. And uh, just really quickly, I want to correct something about the book that I mentioned that John wrote, and it's actually called The Fabric of Self, not Journey to Self. So if you if you go online and you want to check that book out, uh, The Fabric of Self was the book that John told me he was most proud of, of writing. Okay, but I hope I answered that question. Very cool, very cool. Anybody, anybody else got a question? Guys, we'll end it there unless anybody else um, wants to come up. Anybody? Uh, would you Roy, mind if I? Yeah, w w would you mind if I? Um, ba basically, uh, because I'm a targeted individual, I've had to um, do a lot of research on tracking us. Um, we don't actually need to be uh, microchipped. And they don't actually need our DNA to track us anymore. They can actually track us off of our frequencies. And um, this is a known fact now. And that is why a lot of targeted individuals throughout the United States, throughout Europe, Japan, China are all coming forward because they're getting tremendous headaches. And apparently the satellites or the cell towers can latch on to us anywhere in the world. Um, I was traveling uh, to Australia and New Zealand 
and I uh, went to Morocco and Spain, and I was tracked all through those countries um, w w without, as far as I know, um, any without any tracking device within me. So I'm wondering if the authorities would have known where John was and were just biding their time. Um, what are your thoughts? I, I don't think so. Just because we were able to have, um, you know, well, because I had been with John long, so long, I, I was able to recognize um, when we were being followed, like, you know, boots on the ground sort of situation. And because, you know, John was a master at disinformation and, you know, he would obviously he would post pictures or videos um, and giving kind of a, an idea of where we were. He never shared that information when we were actually in the location. So, um, you know, I, I never saw any, um, I never saw any evidence of people physically being, in, you know, in our space. Um, again, we had, when we traveled, even when we were traveling, we still had our, um, we weren't in a Faraday cage, but we still had the jammers and, and there were some other things that were done to our, to our electronic devices in, in order to ensure that, that we weren't tracked electronically. So we had that protection there. Um, I can't really speak to, to, um, your situation, uh, only that maybe if you, is it possible that you had your phone? If you had your phone with you, obviously that's the biggest um, spy device that we carry with us. You know, um, a phone, laptop. Even even if you think it's off, it's never off. You know, it's even if it shuts down, it's still not off. You know, ever since they took the batteries out of you know our phones and we can no longer remove the battery from the phone, your phone is still on. You have to always assume that it is still on. And they have devices like Stingrays where you um, it connects up to their Stingray. So instead of you connecting up to a, a, a noted uh, cell tower, you're actually connected to their Stingray and, and they're able to download um, uh, spy applications onto your device. So it's it's not, I guess it's not um, definitely plausible that they, that, that they have such advanced technology um, that they can now track people this way. But um, you know, I can't really speak to that. But, yeah. Thanks ever so much, and thanks for giving me the chance to speak. And really Roy, appreciate it. Yes, sir. Roy, how, how did you find how did you find us today? Are you uh, a Monero Talk listener, or was that you? You were following Janice. Just curious how you um, you made I, your I, way I, here. I, I actually made a plea to Janice about two or three years ago. I said, could you follow me back, please, Janice? And uh, dear John was alive then. And uh, Janice was kind enough to follow me back, and it came up on my feed about half an hour ago. So I just I tweeted it out, hoping that other people would listen in as well. Awesome. Thank you for joining. Very cool. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Are you are you familiar with Monero, Roy? I'm not. No, I've just seen Monero talk though. So, okay. are, are you a truther channel? Yeah. <laughs> what do you <laughs> have? You ever heard of Monero? You never even heard. I of no. I, I, I'm an Englishman. I've heard of quite a lot, but I've got to be honest. I haven't come across Monero. <laughs> really. 
Okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm sorry for that. No, uh, we must be doing something wrong. Oh well, no, I haven't because um, obviously I would sh I share what I can wide and wide and far. So Monero, you know Bitcoin, right? I assume you know Bitcoin. Yes. So Monero is the anonymous, untraceable version of Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> and uh, and if I give you a pound, mm -hmm. how much how much will you give me back? In Monero? <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much a pound of it's like point whatever O2 Monero. Yeah. Oh, right. So it's untraceable. It's untraceable. So it's the same basic technology as Bitcoin. You know, it uses the, the blockchain. Uh, it uses a public ledger as well, but the, the ledger itself is obfuscated, so you can't peer into it or surveil it in any way. Right. Oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. And I, uh, I'll Google right. it shortly. Well, no, because I was never in. Uh, I was never really into that because I'm, I'm, an, I'm an old boy now. Well, I, I did my job for the day. I always like to onboard a new user to Monero every day. So thank oh, you. Right. Thank okay. you. Right. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to call it. Janice, I think, thank you so much. I mean, we, you've been with us for so long. We did the interview. Now this, I greatly appreciate you taking the time. Everybody that's listening, I hope you enjoyed this. This is the first time we ever did this. So we, we normally record Monero talks and just edit them and put them up. But now we're going to try to add this feature where we uh, stream them live on Twitter spaces as we do them so people can ask questions at the end. Uh, I guess I, I could give one, one last opportunity for a final question to Janice before we close it out. Anybody? Yes, me. Um, Janice, okay. uh, one more question, please. Um, are you um, optimistic about the future or pessimistic or how do you feel about it? <laughs> Um, the future in general, or speaking about a specific future, like the future of America or the future of crypto? Or... <laughs> Good question. Um, like in general, in general. Um, Second time she's been asked this today, yeah. man. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't, yeah, I didn't I guess... hear that. Sorry. No, 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 no. no, no. It was different. It was, it was different, earlier but... on the Similar. Interview, yeah. I didn't guess that. Sorry. Um, I am I am probably pessimist a pessimist, but in general, I feel like um, I feel like the future is unwritten, you know. And we, you know, people we surprise we can surprise ourselves often, you know. And I think, um, you know, like Douglas was saying on our interview, I I think that people are waking up to. Um, the absolute shit show that our world is, especially after everything that happened with crypto. And I think there's more people that are that are waking up to the fact that our governments are do not at all have our best interests at heart. And and I think that there are more people that are, are you know, kind of trying to do their do what they can to wake up those around them, you know, to this reality. Because I think once there's enough people awake then we can figure out what to do about it. You know, once there's enough people that um, are no longer 
sticking their head in the sand when it comes to these, you know, the corruption situation, then I think we can we can do something about it. And I don't think it's necessarily something as drastic as overthrowing the government, you know, but maybe just getting rid of those um, career politicians, you know, or I don't know, you know, it's just something I'm just thinking about loud. But, but um, to answer your question, I guess, yes, I am optimistic about, about the future. Um, that once, once people um, can accept what, what the reality is of, of their lives and of their situation, I think then we can come together and, and figure out how to, um, how to slowly or, or together steer the ship into a better direction than, than what it's heading into now. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> All right. He- heavy stuff. Janice. Yes, very heavy. <laughs> let, let, thank you so much. The, uh, very, very well said. Greatly appreciate all your all your genu- genuine responses this evening. Uh, thanks, everybody, for participating. I guess we're going to be doing this on a, on a weekly basis, so if you're new to this, you can follow Monero Talk uh, or you know follow us here on Twitter and on YouTube. And uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. Janice, thank awesome. you. Thank you, Douglas. A round, round you, of applause to Janice, guys. Let's, how do we do that here? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Roy. <laughs> Bless you. Cheers, Janice. Do you have, you have a, Monero, a Monero address we can send tips to? We, we like doing that in the Monero community. If you want to tweet out a Monero address at some point. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't need your tips, you guys. I think, right. you, know, you can do something really good with that money. Help a okay. homeless person or... Um, you know, save a puppy from uh, <laughs> <or> something. <laughs> we we just like sending well, and using. You. We just like sending and using Monero. So just a nice way to okay. say thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. All right, Appreciate everybody. It. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Douglas. <laughs> Good night, guys. Good, Good night. Oh, God bless. God bless. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to Live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.